Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Welcome, everyone, to episode one of uh, the Neil Garfield Question and Answer Show, lovingly entitled Garfield Goose and Friends. For those of you in the Midwest, you may know where the humor of that comes from. I'm your host, Greg, coming to you live from the birthplace of the American Bar Association, Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, the Untouchables, and Operation Greylord. Hopefully you can enjoy the humor of that. This is a one-hour program in which we hope that some questions and answers relating to the discussions on the Living Lives blog might be addressed. This call is not associated with Neil, Living Lives, or his law firm, or any of his other interests, and it's the sole responsibility of Friends of Neil Nurfield. No accounting or legal advice is given here. If you need a lawyer or a CPA, please hire one authorized to do work in your state. So where shall we begin? Uh, we have someone in North Florida on the call. Let me see if I unmute. Hello, North Florida. Hello. Hi. You're you? uh, live on the call. Uh, I don't really have any questions right now. I just tuned in to listen. Ah. Okay, did you have a chance to listen to the previous call uh, with Neil and his two guests? Yes. All right. Um, was anything there interesting or something you'd like to get clarified to talk about? Uh, not really. Uh, I understood most of it. Okay. Are are you dealing with uh, foreclosure issues on your own? Yeah, um, I used an attorney after I went to uh, the cattle call where they were they just rubber stamp everything uh, at a trial. I tried to do a retrial uh, and this or a rehearing. It was turned down, so it's in the first district court of appeals now. All right. And uh, is your lawyer doing a good job keeping it up? Uh, well, I didn't have an attorney until I tried to do the retrial, rehearing, and it was turned down. So I paid him $2,000 more or less just to enter in the scene, and then he passed away. 
shortly thereafter, within about two months, he passed away. So I'm doing pro se in the First District Court of Appeals of Florida. All right. Do you have any attorneys down there that you talked to after that? No. Um, I've got a friend that's uh, helping me with the brief, which got to be turned in. I got an extension on the brief for 60 days, so I got to turn the brief in. Mm-hmm. And by about October 6th, right at that time. All right. Um seems obvious also that that's Neil's home state. Have you talked to him about it? No, I haven't. Um, I talked to him one time on the uh, radio about four, five, six months ago when he was on the call, but that was it. Okay. <laughs> so is there anything in particular that you're looking for uh, information or help or advice with? No, just waiting for the time clock with that Jessanowski thing for the, uh, you know, um, rescinding the loan. I rescinded the mortgage. It had been just shy of 10 years. So I rescinded the mortgage on March 24th before the final judgment at trial on April 7th of this year. But I didn't didn't do what he said as of yet. I'm waiting for the appellate court before I go and file the notice of rescission. Of course, it's got to have a cover page on it with uh, more or less like a small affidavit. Not really an affidavit, but you have to have a, it has to be a notarized page and then you can put the rescission attachments on there. You're saying for a court thing, for a court case? Uh, to file it. To file it on the official records. Right. You can actually, I believe, just also file notices. You give the court copies of notices that were given to the other people. I think yeah. you can put those, at least in my neighborhood, that's basically what you have to do. Uh, you have to put a notice, but it, you more or less have to get it notarized for it to be recorded, as I understand, uh-huh. in Florida, and then you can put the attachments along with it. Usually when I do a recording of anything important, I record it, then I get the clerk to certify it, then I re-record it after it's certified with their stamp uh-huh. on it. Okay. Well, nobody else has uh, joined us yet. <laughs> so, uh, if this is the first time we were going to do this, uh, I suppose the courtesy thing to do would be for at least me to just hang out here and wait to see who else might call in or come in on the blog. I just happened to see yours on the... Uh, the only reason I saw it was... I look at the responses whenever Neil posts something. I look at the comments, you know, two or three days after or either that day and see who adds. If it's a hot topic, mm-hmm. Neil was talking about, uh, people post on there quite, <laughs> quite quickly. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I put this call together after talking to a few of the other people, and uh, they thought that it would be nice if the folks that you know, just sit there and type things onto 
you know, Vlad could have a place to go to to actually do some questions and answers since uh, his call is so short. There's never any time to talk about the things that he brings up. So we thought this might be a good place to do that. Anyway, so we'll see how it goes. So are are you like uh, an attorney or are you just a... Uh, which, how do you, how did you, how did right, you go? I'm not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Right. <laughs> I have been a business owner for many years and as such have had to learn a lot about contract law and writing and a lot of legal research of my own for uh, business and personal use. And uh, I will sometimes contract out to help other people with uh, reviewing contracts or or writing contracts between different parties, so that uh, you know it's a good contract. Uh, Have you ever had the opportunity to write a brief? Um, not in not in the way that uh, they want for an appellate court, no. Cause they, I've, written a, I've written a lot of different things to submit uh, to cases of my own, but those are not those don't qualify for that. And I'm not qualified to write anything for anybody else, especially out of state or uh, something like that. Yeah, I can only. I I I got this guy. I, I won't mention his name, but this this guy's a genius. Most attorneys don't know about law the way this guy does. But he's um, he's helping me, like you said. He's helping me with the brief, much like you would help somebody. And um, it's the guy's a genius. But you know, doing a brief, if there's so many restrictions, it's got to be this type font. The spacing from the sides have to be one inch. It can't be can't be over fifty pages and on and on, and um, it's just and if you don't if it doesn't and then at the bottom instead of saying a certification of sending it to these people the other attorneys you also have to put a certification in it, addition to that that says the font is the right size the borders are the right size the margins and all that so as long as you know all those rules. In the first district or in the, a court of appeal like that, you can only go by what's in the transcripts. Uh, if it's a if it's a like a hearing for a si- final summary judgment, you can do something that called de novo. Where they'll look at all the paperwork ever turned in, but when it's at a trial, they only look for errors and stuff like that that the judges made. Uh, at that trial, so I did have a transcript, but it, you get restricted so much. It's some of these laws they make up are so friggin' stupid. It's not, you know. <laughs> I know it, it, it resembles more like writing a high school term paper than you know trying to do law. You know, it's like you're gonna get graded on, you know, the formatting and all this other stuff, and. I mean, you have to jump through all those hurdles before you even get them to look at the content. 
So that's really frustrating for a lot of people. Well, it really is because, you know, I, we were supposed to have a final summary. Uh, it was supposed to be a judgment. I mean, it's supposed to be a hearing, and they didn't give me the 30-day proper notice of service. Uh, it had been set for two months ahead of time, but the other side, they didn't file that they wanted to. It was up to them if they wanted a hearing or a trial. I thought it was going to be a hearing. And 21 days before the trial, they filed some paperwork that said that they were going to turn it into a trial, but they had to give you 30 days of service, uh, notice of service, 30 days before the trial. And they just, they, there were so many things. There was just two case management meetings uh, prior to that, and there was no uh, motions for hearing or anything like that. This other guy told me about that, and uh, that was helping me, and he said, it would get. It's going to get reversed, but I don't want to get it reversed with um, and remanded, which means it has to go back into the lower tribunal. I want it reversed with dismissal or just completely reversed because they the pr- improper etiquette. But you get into a thing when it's a trial. Uh, it shouldn't have been a trial, so so you got to put the stuff in a brief in order for it to go through. Uh, you want the judges to look at the most important stuff that will give them the reason to completely dismiss it rather than just, you don't want to put the, they didn't give 30 days notice at the top of the brief because the judges might just read that and say, okay, reverse and remand. Go back to the lower tribunal. You you want them to completely dismiss the case because they weren't they did, had no standing to begin with because it's a REMIC trust, you know. It wasn't done by one or American Home Mortgage Servicing or Home Residential. It wasn't brought by the servicer, but they bring their servicer in as a robo-witness. So, uh, it's but it's to me, it's sort of unfair that simply because it's a trial, you can only use what was in that trial to carry to the court of appeals, if it's a if it's a uh, a final hearing, then the court will look at all the paperwork that's been turned in. That's my understanding, called de novo or something. And I've learned a lot in the past two or three years about the legal terms and the you know the motions and all that. <laughs> they try to run roughly over top of you. That's true. There's a lot of people are frustrated with the same thing, and a lot of people have had to go and learn elements of the legal system and law that they never had thought they were going to have to do in their lives. Although, in some regard, if you think back on what Tom Jefferson said and uh, Ben Franklin said, you know, it's an educated uh Constituency, when the citizens are educated in law and everything that pertains to that, that's when they make for the best judges of who to elect to do their services. And the more ignorant people have gotten over the years and relied more and more on a single or dual class of individuals that declare themselves experts, the lazier everybody's gotten. 
and uh, the less they know, and they rely more and more upon people who are, you know, knowledgeable in the law. But that doesn't guarantee that they're going to put the same effort into helping you that you would do for yourself, because really, what do they have at stake? They're going to get paid, win or lose. And that kind of... uh, that's kind of why I kind of respect the uh, personal injury lawyers that go out on uh, on commission because they actually have some skin in the game. And uh, if they lose, they get nothing. If they win, they win well. It'd be nice if uh, there was the same kind of a opportunity for attorneys assisting on these things. There, there could be a significant monetary judgment where they could win you know, a good-sized commission. But you don't see that. Well, you know, the judicial system was designed, supposed to be for the people, not for the judges and the attorneys. And what's happened is, it's like, along with the bailiff that's in there that was during the trial that kept telling me to sit down, sit down. He was yelling at me, sit down, and I wasn't even standing up. I was just, it wasn't in a chambers. It was in this tiny small room, and the attorneys call it the cattle call because there's just one case after another, Just and they only last about five minutes at that long. Mine lasted about maybe 20 to 25 minutes from beginning to end. But the bailiff's yelling at me and, uh, you know, I objected to everything that the attorney said, but they, it's just, it's, you know, at the one case meeting I went to, I asked the judge, the attorney can't ask him this, I said, what's a uh, judicial complaint? Uh, And he said, well, what do you have said? I said, I just saw it on the internet. I said, what's a judicial complaint? Uh, And he said, uh, that's not the exact terminology, but he said, well, that means if I treat you wrong or get out of line, you can go over my head to the thing. He said, "Have I? did I get out of line? I said, no, not yet, you know, I mean, but <laughs> I was just wondering. I asked him if he was a, the judge, if he was a member of the bar, and he goes, yes, but I'm not the same kind of bar. Uh, I'm not in the bar group like the attorneys are. So I was just asking that ahead of time because both of them are in the bar and me, pro se, I'm not. So I feel like I'm prejudiced already because the, they're going to work with each other, and that's basically what they do. Uh, the Florida Bar Association took over. It was back several years back. They took over all of the judicial system, more or less, in Florida. I don't know about other states. But in Florida, some 20 or 30 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, the the, the Florida bar took over and said, oh, we'll do all this. They went to the Florida Congress and said, we'll do all of this for you all so you all don't have to be tied up with it. And hence, it, there's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of prejudice there. Yep. Well, that is pretty much how it is in every state. That's why uh, they... And they uh, take care of their own. If there's a problem with an attorney, you you don't sue them. You go to the bar association. Well, and the the judges, they have 
that do these. It just stopped in June because Florida ran out of money. The banks, the banks got had to pay a bunch of money to the states because of the government telling them to. So they split the they split the money up, and Florida got something like twenty three or twenty. I forget how much. It was millions of dollars. So instead of like Massachusetts, where they took and helped the homeowners with that money, which is where the money was supposed to go, Florida took it and they hired all these retired judges to speed up the prog- progress so that they could clear out these foreclosures. And hence the attorneys got this thing that called the cattle call where they just heard you through and they just, you know, you don't have no defense, rubber stamp it, you should have paid it. It doesn't matter whether there's any... Uh, it's a trust. The trust can't sue you because they never got, they never received the papers, and then they try to do a blank allonge. There's no on on any notes in the courtroom that I looked at with the promissory note. There's no. They try to do it with a bogus assignment. I said you don't need an assignment, Judge. It's got to go from this this lender to this receiver and then to the depositor and the depositor is the only one that can put it into trust and there's nobody signed anything on the back of that promissory note and i can either i don't know if you noticed this uh we have another caller uh, from central colorado who's joined us hello oh hello there hi uh, this is greg i'm the host uh, we have a gentleman from, from northern florida what's your first name Oh, Sarah? What's your first name? Mine? Both of you. Oh. <laughs> so we can talk to each other without saying, hey, you. Hey, mine. <laughs> Sarah. Mine's Dan. Okay, we have Dan from Florida. And uh, who are you from Colorado? Sarah. Para? Sarah. Okay, nice to have you on the call. Um, we were just discussing some of the practices and policies uh, Dan was telling us about from Florida uh, that the courts have been doing over the years. What what do you have that you'd like to talk about? Well, I just got off the phone with um, a judge. I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with a Rule 120 hearing in Colorado. Oh, not not the two of us. We're from we're in Illinois and Florida. <laughs> so maybe it's not appropriate that I even chime in. But oh no. I we're did, just hoping hoping more people come on the call from more places. But what I um what I did was I rescinded my loan, and um, of course they ignored me. And I was just talking to the judge, well, with the other attorney, and I said that I don't even want the Rule 120 hearing because the Supreme Court uh, ruled on uh, the, you know, when you drop the notice in the mail, yeah. that, that it's effective. Well, she immediately jumped in and she said, uh, you know, she compared it to common law rescission, and I gently corrected her. I said that there, these were two different issues. Uh-huh. So she said that uh, I guess we'll discuss that at the Rule 120 hearing. I, I'm like, I'm flabbergasted. 
Okay, so what is a right to have a hearing before something? Pardon? I'm just looking it up to see what it says about a, a, a Rule 120 hearing. How long ago did you get your, did you uh, have the real estate transaction where you received some money? Where I received money? Are you yes. talking about the refinance? I never received any money. How long ago did you do your rescission? Uh, in March. Of 2015. Okay. That's when I did my... Have they done any kind of of an action on you since then? Well, they're filing... This is for... They're filing for the foreclosure. And even though... You know, you get a notice of a Rule 120 hearing and and then you have a certain amount of days to file your response, which I did, Uh and I filed it and I stated that um, uh, the rescission was sent March the 9th. They, they, no one uh, filed any action to vacate it, and therefore, by default, they've accepted it. You know, within that 20-day period after receipt of the rescission. Right. So they had they had a statutory duty to respond. Well, they didn't. I mean, we all know how that. Well, that's happened. right. Well. <clears throat> yeah, if it's worth uh, a good laugh for you, uh, I filed uh, our rescission over two years before they got to coming to make any kind of a judgment. And uh, they totally ignored it. But that, but they can't do that. Well, I guess they can do anything that they want, but now yeah. with, with this hearing, see, the hearing is based on documents that are now null and void. For the tequila, they should be they should be considered uh, vaporized. Yes, so I and uh, they got to, and see the the difference is you got I believe they have a twenty day window to respond. Correct. According to what according to what Neil is telling us, right? That's right. And and then they have a year to sue you for recovery after that. Well, but they didn't respond. But, but, you know, the way Neil... Thank you. Neil well, in other yeah. words, they can, still, they can still come back and sue, but without the collateral. What, they can't do, they, what it means is that they would have to come back in another form of a lawsuit. This is my understanding. Again, this is not legal advice. This is just what I've read on, and from listening to Neil and reading on Neil's website. Right. Um, that uh, it appears that they could come back in a separate suit to say you still owe the money, but then they would have to get a court judgment and then a judgment to an assignment that they could, you know, you'd have to X amount of time to pay them off or else, and then if you didn't pay them off, then they could come back and try to take property from you as collateral. But it wouldn't be an automatic foreclosure case. That's what I believe sets up for. But if they don't act, if you do your rescission and you stay, you can stay in the home, and they go through the whole thing, and more than a year passes from the rescission, I believe they've also lost their right to sue you for recovery as well. Right. All right. 
which is one of the reasons one of the reasons that our coaches years ago had us just go do all these things and then shut up and just let the clock tick and let the statues run them over because if you if you do it and keep them keep them uh, keep bothering them about it, then you're giving them you know a reminder that they need to do something. Oh no, I would never. Right, right. it's better to let their arrogance be their undoing. Right, but in my opinion, I'm I'm faced with this hearing, and they can't see in Colorado. They cannot. Um, just foreclose. They have to get a judgment against you um, in that Rule 120 hearing. So if they have no judgment, they can't sell anything. But if you read the, uh, do you have a lawyer? Do you have a lawyer that you can work with that uh, that knows I what wish. they're doing? I wish. I I mean I've talked to them and and you know they're like. We'll see in Colorado, it's like, well, anybody can fabricate anything and file it, and it's good as gold. And what they've already filed, it's all, they fabricated it. I mean, I've been fighting this since 2011. Uh-huh. And, um, but now the key is, you know, well, with the when the rescission issue came up again at the beginning of the year, I thought, oh, this could be my saving grace. And so I promptly, well, back in March, I uh, sent my rescission very short and sweet, didn't reference any date, nothing, just the loan number. I hear with rescind, green card, return return receipt, got it back. Hmm? Okay, so you sent it certified return receipt, good. Did everything that, uh, and of course they didn't respond. But uh, then in the meantime, they sold the deal to some other trust. <laughs> but that's all here and there. But the bottom line is, is the rescission is effective. And, and it's they, can't, they, can't sell, they can't sell what they don't have. And if they were knowledgeable, if you think about this, um, a good attorney for the new company that has, has the note, supposedly, this other trust, could sue the one that sold it to him because if you had to put that if you put that rescission in before they sold it, I they did. sold them nothing. They sold them nothing. They yeah. sold them a lot. So you might want to inform the new people. Hey, you realize that these people defrauded you and well, sold okay. you nothing. And this attorney also represented. Well, this is a chase deal. It's the same attorney they're representing. She first represented Chase, and then Chase sold it to this LSF9 Master Participation Trust. Mm-hmm. And that was sold. But, but if there was nothing, but if there was nothing to sell, Correct. what did they sell them? I don't know. Well, but but to the rescission. I mean, just based on that. It goes back to the uh, the date of uh, the, the whatever this this whole issue is about, and it was a Washington Mutual loan. Did you look at the links on on Neil's website oh, that I posted to my that I that I posted to my Dropbox that 
I made it easier for. What what is your name, Greg? It's Greg. Oh, you're the Greg that posts. Okay. I have. I mean, I I follow his web. I get all his emails. You know that he. Right. Well, anyway, I put some links on there for. I went and got the documents that we have. Because you have it in some kind of a zip file, I guess. Right, you download the zip file, and then you unzip the zip file. Yeah, I don't have that on my computer. but um, it's, I don't know what kind of computer you have, but uh, for the past 15 years, it's been an automatic function with most uh, computers. Not you mine. Just, you can just right-click on it and say unzip it, and you know, uncompress it. What's in the zip file? Um, I put I put up all the stuff that we had filed in the county recorder's office and into the court, and uh, links to my cases that were going on. You know, it's all public information. It's not like I'm giving away stuff that other people can't find. I just instead of making you look it all up, I just tried to make it easier. That's all. Right. And it's just a, it's a, it's just reference. You know, it doesn't necessarily apply to you. It's not legal advice or anybody else. It's just an example of what one person did that uh, you could look at. And the other thing I, I also did was I did record my rescission. With the county recorder? Absolutely. That's very good. A lot of people forget that stuff. No, no. I, I, follow, I follow Neil religiously. I mean, what have I got to lose? What, what did you... Uh, you put a cover page... Uh, on there as the notice of rescission? Yes, I did. I put, um, it says affidavit. See, affidavit of notice of rescission slash uh, intent to cancel. I put an, I made it an affidavit. And an affidavit, that means you swear to it in front of a notary. And, right. Uh, Yes, so all that's good and notarized. That's how it is in Florida. You have to right. notar you, you can't just put record anything. Right. And I also um I just put in the recording information of you know, how it is on the public records, the original, you know, that it affects this property, the recorded document, the recording information, not not mm-hmm. really any dates or anything. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. not admitting to anything. Mm-hmm. Making the statement of fact that uh, and for Jessenowski, I did. I, I my cover letter was, um, uh, you know, I made the attachments of the right to cancel that I originally sent, and then the notice affects the deed of trust recorded, and then your address, commonly known, whatever. <laughs> And then the notice was sent in accordance with the Truth in Lending Act. I put that in there. And Section 1635A and the unanimous decision of the Supreme Court of the United States of Colorado, or Color of America, Justice Scalia, January 13, 2015. Then I put in there the notice is effective when dropped in the mail by operation of law. And that they're void. Right. Neil talked and, about that tonight again. You're saying, you know, as far as he can see it, rescission and, is effective even if there's something wrong with it. Right. 
And I said, see, see attached exhibit B, proof of mailing and receipt, receipt by recipient. And then I also put in my letter the notice was not contested by any alleged creditor with a judicial response within the 20 days as required by TILA after receipt of notice. And then I put, because of this inaction, they have waived the rights to contest the notice now and forever. That's how I ended Well, that so it sounds like you did a very nice job putting that together. Um, yes. if, the, if the judge is going to try to force you to appear at a, another hearing, um, what I can suggest possibly, and again, I keep saying, please talk to a, a lawyer in your neighborhood. Just just run it past them. Give them, give them an opinion. But what it could possibly be is you could go up there and inform the court that you're there under a special and not general appearance, not to contest the merits of the claim, but only to contest the standing of the plaintiffs, oh. that there is no standing. If you, if you start arguing about the merits of the case, you've immediately given them general jurisdiction. So if they go, well, did you make, did you pay a loan? Did you stop paying a loan? You answer any question. And if the judge is asking you questions, you're just going to have to be respectful and say, sir, I'm here under special appearance, not general appearance, and I am not going to discuss any of the merits of the case at this point in time. I'm here to simply challenge jurisdiction because there is no subject matter. There is no subject matter for this plaintiff to pursue. That's exactly my stand, and that's how I'm going to present it to the court, that there's nothing to decide. Right. I'm not going to say anything, you know. And if they, and if they go, oh, well, we're going to do this anyway, you just tell them, I object. I'm not consenting to the jurisdiction of this court because there is nothing to con nothing in contention. Well, the, the judge, see, because the, the other attorney... And, and, and say it three times. Uh, Repeat yourself three times. Say the same thing. I'm not well, here in the special in general, but uh, like you just said. And, and just after that, shut up. I just shut up. They can, you know, the, the plaintiff always goes first, so as soon as they start talking, I'll, I'll object to everything that they say. But, but the no, you let, you let him talk, and then as soon as he gets done talking, you just say, you know, actually when you just approach the bar, you just tell him, I'm here under special and not general, general appearance, not to argue the case. You know, get up there and get that out of your mouth first, right? Um, the, the plaintiff has no standing, there's no subject matter jurisdiction, and there's no personal jurisdiction, right? And just tell him that three times, that, you know, this case is not a case at all. Yeah, I mean, right. I was, is this, you know, is is your name Sarah, like Sarah Lee, or Tara, like Gone with the Wind? Like Sarah Lee, the cake. <laughs> okay, I was having. It, it's uh, Greg. It's all right if I give her my email address where she could possibly. Oh sure. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind, it'll be on the recording. You know, but. I don't care. There's only three people on here anyhow right now. Um, okay. Sarah, is there any way you sound like you 
I don't know. You're not an attorney, but you sure got your head in the, on your shoulders, right? <laughs> the, everything that you said uh, makes perfect sense to me about everything I've ever learned about the notice that you gave and everything. If I give you my email, is there any way you could send me a file of what you filed at the courthouse or give me the link at the courthouse to look at it? Can you do that in Colorado? Or Oh, oh sure, sure. I can... Um... Uh, I can probably scan it and email it to you, what I did. But you have yeah. to understand. Yeah, go ahead. Give me your email. Okay. Um, my email is electrictreeman, that's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-T, like in Tom, R-E-E-M-A-N, at AOL.com. It's all one word. Electric Tree Man at AOL dot com. Oh, oh, what? I used to be a high voltage electrician, and my oldest son and I cut trees, so my wife made that up for us. Okay, <laughs> electric Tree Man at AOL. Yes, dot com. Okay, sure, I'll do that. And I mean, I just did it on my own. I was very careful not to um, admit to anything or. I mean, are you talking about the rescission notice? Yes, I I rescinded my loan also. It was just shy of 10 years, but I rescinded it also before I got a final judgment on me at a trial. I did it on March 24th when I sent the... Let me rephrase that. I sent the rescission in about the time you did and waited the 20 days. And um, anyhow, they have to respond... Uh, because it's an operation of law, they have to respond by lawsuit inside of that 20 days, is my understanding. Now, they did send me something back, but it said, oh, no, we sent you everything that we're supposed to send you. And uh, they didn't. They're supposed to send each person, your wife and me, two copies each, and they didn't. But besides all that, they still had to file a lawsuit to re- revoke it or vacate it, from my understanding. And they right. That's so Neil. Yeah, Neil says that a lot. He says they can't answer you with a letter. Exactly, and that's how I, I, you know, whatever they send you doesn't vacate anything. Well, they have to go into court. If uh, my mine is in the first district court of appeal, and if it doesn't get reversed and dismissed involuntarily, uh, it gets reversed and remanded back to the lower tribunal then I'll probably do what Greg has said. uh, You can't find an attorney with a friggin' brain. Uh, None of them, if you look up a TILA expert, they're far and few between. I found one, maybe two in the whole state of Florida that knows anything about TILA. What's TILA, you know? And so you're better to educate yourself and talk to other people, and it's less expensive. And uh, it's like Greg said, Greg... Greg, you can tell Greg knows an awful lot. He's already done a bunch of stuff himself. He's done immense research. And it sounds to me like Sarah has too, you know. I know I have, but it's I'm 61, and it's hard to learn as fast as I used to and then trying to keep, <laughs> keep it in my brain. Well, don't, don't feel bad, Dan. You're just a I'm couple years same, ahead of me. Yeah, I'm the same age too. I'm 61, and um, I have been studying this since uh, all this started, and, you know, 
back in the day, it was almost like you thought, oh, God, I'm going to lose everything. But I've played their game, and I've fought, and I'm still here. So There's a place called CFLA uh, that does, for $1,495, they'll send you a Bloomberg report of where the the loan is supposed to be in the trust, if yours is in a trust. I uh, I thought you said it was. Um well, but it's not right now. It's not actually in the trust. The paperwork shows it's not actually. The trust never accepted it. They had to accept it. You know. But but if but if you've rescinded it, how does it matter? Well, well, the question. One of the questions is, did it exist at the time they began the process? Right. You know, if you pulled the rug out from one of them during the middle of it, it was, it was a separate question, right, which is the case, my case. I started the proceeding, and right after we started the proceeding, they didn't even give me service. They lied and said that they gave service to my 15-year-old son. They call it substitute service. And he was in high school. He wasn't even home. He was on the way home on the bus. When the time and place they said they did it. So... He's sworn that that didn't happen. And so they went on with this process because they just lied and put fraudulent affidavits into the court and the judge didn't care. And I didn't know that I could go argue about it because I didn't even learn about this until this year when I finally got a full transcript of all the things that are recorded in the court file. I was, there's, like, there's thousands of pages that uh, I've never seen before in my life. And uh, I never had a day in court to go and argue about it. Um, so in one respect, that's good. Um, in one respect, it's not. But um, what was I trying to make the point of is um, we did the service on them um, through all. Oh, the only reason I knew about it is I started getting junk mail from lawyers' offices asking to defend me. And I'm like, defend me from what? <laughs> and well, you're in a foreclosure. I go, really? I haven't been sent. And they're like, oh, you know, blah blah blah. Oh, well, they published it in the paper or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah, in the law journal. Yeah, so the only reason that, but that's where they publish it in the law journal. Who, who reads the law journal? The lawyers. <laughs> so that's not service. No, they they lied several times. But anyway, um, it's like how do you fight for something when you don't even know that it's there? And then once we learned out that that was going on, I got a certified public accountant to go and do research and dug into this whole thing, found out all the areas where there was fraud and, and mistakes on the part of them, and so we challenged them by sending the lawyer for the bank all of the paperwork and the demands because once they started a, a court proceeding against us, the rule is you have to talk to the party through the lawyer and not directly because that's that's their rules of uh, politeness or proper procedure, right? Yeah. So anyway, we did all that and the, uh, the lawyers never did anything with it as far as we know or if they did, the bank didn't do anything with it. And so we did all the rest for and the performance requests, the qualified written requests, all the other things. 
ask them to please prove up that they actually had any standing and the ability to even go forward with the case, and they ignored it. And then after they ignored everything, we sent them a final decision notice, and we reported the whole thing. Not only that, we did it all through a, a notary a notary public um, as a as a notary receiver, so that uh, they couldn't say that I mailed them a bunch of empty envelopes. Well, we got the envelope, but nothing was in it. Well, no, I, that's why I have a notary do it. The notary sends it. He swears of what's in the content of the envelope, and then he swears that he got nothing back. And so now I've got a court officer of the state who's a notary swearing that all these things truly happened and they didn't answer. Right? So then I had a three-notary panel take a review of the whole administrative process and they judged the default and said that it was all properly done. And then we recorded the notice of uh, um, termination of the note and determination of the note and voiding of the mortgage. And then they also threw that into the court case and the notice is there. So the uh, judge would have had a judicial notice of receipt of those things in the court file. And the judge should have looked at those, in our opinion, and gone, oh, look, this is over. And gone over to the plaintiff and said, hey, what do you got to say about this? Right? Um, as far as I know, that never happened. There's no record of that ever happening. They were just treated as if they were just pieces of uh, toilet paper that got tossed into the tapes. So, you're trying to figure it out. So during the process. You did an, an administrative notary process where you had a notary as a third party verify everything, and then you recorded it at the courthouse. And and then in the county recorder's office too. I did that too. I did that, and I had all the stuff certified. And I got like when they sent the, all the files from the index. I turned that in, and that clerk looked at me like I was crazy. It was all certified, copied papers, and I sent it to the judge. It was like over seventy pages tall. It was like it must have been a hundred pages. Their responses and everything. It went nowhere, but. That's not to say it won't go somewhere, but that's what I was talking about. The appellate court will never see that, even though it was sent to them. They won't look through it and make a judgment off of that because it went to trial instead of to a hearing, for, for me, myself. But um, Again, this would be a... You should really talk to Neil or somebody down there in Florida, since you're in Florida. He didn't know what you it know. was. I asked him. That was the only question I ever talked to him about on the air. I asked him what he was, and he said he didn't know what that was. He's talking about notaries. But my mortgage never was notarized. The mortgage they recorded in the records, they don't have to record a promissory note, but they record the mortgage, and it's supposed to be notarized with a stamp. And the notary and the witness signed it, but they didn't put their names underneath of it, and they didn't put that black stamp on it. And it has to have that black stamp to be recorded in the records. That's a Florida statute, so I told him that. Yeah. So actually, it's a void. It's void. But, you know, trying to get that across to a friggin' judge, they don't want to ask nothing. Did you borrow the money? No, I'm not really the borrower. I mean, we heard that tonight. I'm not really the borrower. <laughs> I believe what he said was, I'm aware that some kind of transaction took place, but I really can't tell you what it was. 
you know. It was, some there was something. Of, something happened, but I don't know what it was. I can't was, put a name on it. Yeah, it was. He says, "Don't ever use the word closing or consummation. Use the word real estate it's, transaction." Um, you don't even even just say there was some kind of paperwork thing that I signed. I have no idea what the heck it was. You know, because you really don't know what it was. I mean, just imagine if they did a loan document. And they had on the top of it, they said, marriage certificate. All right? And they said, you're the husband and the other people are the wife, and you owe the wife this money. Does, just because they use the word husband and wife, does it make it a marriage document? And, and it's, just, it's just a word. It's a pronoun. It's a placeholder. It's this guy and that guy. It's a title. They give to you on the paperwork. But if functionally it doesn't perform as a husband and wife, and if functionally it doesn't perform as a lender and borrower, in the real definition of the word, they can call it that all day long. You know, but they might as well have just said, this is deducting, this is the goose. Okay? I'm deducting this contract, and you're the goose in this contract. Well, what does that mean? Well, it just means whatever the hell you want it to mean. You know? I have no contract. You know, the judge, he was a, a rubber stamp judge, retired. They, they're retired, so they can't have anything done to him. He asked me, he says, he says, is that your signature on the promissory note? I said, I can neither verify nor authenticate that that's my signature. He said, you're saying you didn't sign that? I said, if it was my signature, there would be endorsements on the promissory note putting it into the trust, Your Honor. It has to go from A to B, B to C, C to D, and then it's in the trust. And the only one who can put it in the trust is the depositor. And I said there's no signatures or endorsements. All that there is is fabricated, fraudulent paperwork that they've brought into your court with a blank allonge saying that it's all right and a fake assignment of mortgage from option one A to the trust D. I said it can't go like that. It should have been recorded A to B in the records, B to C, C to D in the public records of Florida, and it wasn't. I said they destroyed the original note, and they've got a machine that replicates your signature with a ballpoint pen, and there's two machines made in America to do it. I saw it on the Internet. I said this isn't even the original note. It's not the original promissory note, and I can neither verify nor authenticate that that's my signature because I don't believe it is. And he got yeah. Off. In the future, yeah. In the future, you know, if you ever have to sign something important, keep an ink pad in your pocket. And if you really want to sign it, if you really want to do it, sign it and then put your thumbprint right over the top of the signature in it. Well, you know. Now, no, no. Tell them to replicate that. Look, looking back, there's one thing. I document everything and have a copy of everything that I ever do now. But one thing I wish I had done is when I got that real estate transaction and the title lady asked me to come back and pick up the check, I wish I had taken a copy of that check and copied the front and back of it and seen who it was because I don't, I don't know if it said option one. It didn't say Wells Fargo Bank as trustee, <laughs> but it should have said option one mortgage. Who changed it over anyhow? So, so oh, we, got, we got 
We got about four minutes left. You gonna send me that email, Sarah? <laughs> I am. I will. Because I, I, uh, I, I, that. And if anybody, and if anybody would like to write to me, it's Lawman L A W M A N at gmx dot us. You got a recording of this, don't you, Greg? Um. Yeah, I'll be turning it off in about three minutes. <laughs> okay. Well. I, and then, and then all you have to do is go back to the uh, TalkShoe website and uh, punch in that number, and you'll be able to listen to it or download it. Okay. okay well, well, thank you, and I will um, uh, send you – I'll get in touch with you via email and tell you how to access, or I'll, I'll, I'll see how I can get it over to you. Do, or do you have a fax machine? Uh, yes, I do have a fax machine. If you've got it on file on your computer, did you, you, you drew it up in a, like a Word format or something on your computer? Yeah, just on a, a little word processing thing. Well, sometimes if you save the file, you can send me the file, or you can give me the link if you're able to, if in, in Florida you can look at everything except death certificates and crap, but... In Colorado, I don't know how that is. Uh, if you send to me the public records, the, I'll yeah, send it to you. Not to worry, I'll get it to you. Yeah, because I can look at that and then print it out like that. Because I'd like to look and read outside while I'm smoking a cigarette. I looked at, I like to read it. I'd read it two or three times. But that sounds like you did everything almost to perfection. The way you said, I just unbelievable. Well, we shall see with a Rule One Twenty hearing, but. I'll just have to stand my ground. Well, it's like Greg said, you know, they had no standing. So it's like he said, they'd have. it's not in his jurisdiction to even make any decisions. The judge has no jurisdiction, and he cannot go on like that because he can't stand it. Because he says, I want, I'm on the bank side. I want them to get the... <laughs> if he doesn't have jurisdiction, it's in the wrong court. <laughs> Yeah, well, Sarah, if you if you can find a lawyer to talk to, ask them. Do you know anything about you know um, Section One Twenty hearings? And if they say yes, say how do I how do I go in there and not give them jurisdiction, and just tell them that I want to argue about whether or not the other side has any standing to even bring the case. You know, if you just keep it vague like that, maybe they can give you some pointers. Well, but I already did that when when I got re- notice of the Rule 120 hearing. I already uh-huh. reply you have a certain amount of time. Otherwise, they get an automatic default judgment against you. So I contested the the Rule the, the Rule 120 hearing or the first time, you know, because I gave them my answer of I I rescinded the deal. And I supplied the information. I mean, this goes way back to April or whenever that was, but they totally, you know, I think they just put it aside until they, the, the hearing is actually scheduled because up until this day, they all ignore it. What you're going to have to be careful of is that they are going to try to get you to recontract. Oh. Okay, and they do that with very vague and very simple questions. All right. If they, if they ask you, if they get you all upset and you 
they ask you a question and you blurt out an answer and you're not thoughtful about it, you might just say, okay, I'm back in. That's what will happen. And you have to be very careful with that. Because remember, the, the definition of attorney is one who turns words. Okay? And uh, they're word turners. So, and they're usually turning your words back onto yourself. So, be careful out there. Well, I guess that is, we've been on for an hour, and uh, I know it was a small call for tonight, but uh, it was our first one. Um, if you think that this was helpful or at least um, uh, cathartic, uh, please tell other folks on the blog, um, the living wise, that, uh, you know, we, at least we got this thing started. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, in the future, uh, we'll get this moving with a little bit more momentum. Um, again, thank you, everybody. Thank you. And uh, delightful talking with you. And uh, we'll try to be back here next week, same time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. All right. Okay. Good night. Good night. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.